couple of weeks ago, I was watching uh, part of the Masters Golf Tournament, and I noticed on one of, of the tee boxes, that's where a golfer hits his first shot, if you don't know golf, um, there were fans lining uh, around behind the golfer and are lining the tee box area and then extending out into what's called the fairway, uh, standing just a few feet away from where he was going to swing. And it crossed my mind, do you not know that pro golfers sometimes mishit the ball? I've seen videos of pro golfers hitting people with their shots. You understand, this can be very dangerous. Now, I don't know if you golf. Most people don't golf. It's expensive. It's hard to learn. In fact, most golfers don't golf. <laughs> you understand what I mean? They play golf their whole lives. They never break 90. Uh, par is usually 70 to 72. They never break 90. That's usually the divide between a good golfer and everybody else. Um, uh, understand that only about 26% of people who ever play golf ever break 90. Um, it wasn't until my dad and I were playing for a long time together. I remember when he broke 90, he was so excited about that. Um, and it's just hard to do for a lot of people. They really struggle to get there. The next dividing line, by the way, is par. And, and uh, only about 6 7% of people who ever play golf ever hit, play one round where they break par in their entire lives. I've only done it once. It just doesn't happen very often. And if you're not a pro golfer, well, you understand why Mark Twain supposedly called it a good walk spoiled, right? It's, it's not. And playing golf is not just about clubs and balls and your swing. You actually have to navigate the course. And as funny as this sounds, I've actually seen people get lost on a golf course. Um, some of these courses have 18-hole tracks, uh, but they have multiple 18-hole tracks. And so hole one for, they call it the blue course or the red course or whatever, or they call it the ocean course or the desert course, however they describe it. They'll have hole one for that course here and then hole one for another course here and a hole one for another course here. And as you're riding in your little golf cart or you're pulling your cart or walking with your clubs, uh, you, you get kind of turned around. And if you don't know where you're going, I've actually had people pull up in their golf cart. Can you tell me what hole I'm on? I'm, they're completely lost on the golf course, which is actually kind of funny uh, because, because that does happen. And I see you on some of your expressions. You even right now are a little confused. You're a little lost about what I'm talking about. Now, maybe you see the pros do it and you wonder how can anybody ever get lost on a golf course? Do you know that there are examples of pros doing a lot of weird things on golf courses? But I could, can't find any example as many years as I played golf, as many books as I read about golf, any example of any pro ever getting lost on a golf course. And there's one big reason why. For a long time, pros have somebody walking beside them. Do you know what they call that guy? The caddy. And the caddy has a book in his hand. You probably don't ever notice this, but there's a caddy walking around. He's got a book. He's got the guy's clubs and he's carrying this book. He puts it in his pocket, but they, he'll pull it out and he'll flip the book open and he'll actually begin looking at the golf course in the book. And usually it's it, the caddy's book is a layout of the golf course and it tells yardages and distance here and, and how the, the fairways slope and how the greens are made. It, it's really detailed. 
I have heard that Tiger Woods's book that he himself has done on, on the Masters golf course, well, that let me just tell you, that would be worth a, a, a lot of money. He, he's got it down to, I want to hit my ball on this spot if the weather conditions are like this. It's just really specific. And that caddy's book is very important to golfers because you know what? Pro golfers actually play unfamiliar golf courses almost every week. Except for like the Masters, where they play the same course every year. Well, there are a couple of tournaments like that. Most of the tournaments they play, they're at a place they've never been before, or maybe one they only go to ever so often. They're not used to it. They don't know what the golf course is like. So this book gives the golfer all the information he needs to understand how to play the course. Now, can you see the parallel here to the Christian life? I think it's pretty obvious, and it's been obvious for a few minutes. Amateur law golfers get lost in the golf world, and the pros never do. And it's because the pros have a book. And can I tell you something? In this metaphor that I'm painting, maybe not perfectly, the amateurs are the unsaved. Christians have a book. We've got a book. And it's our guide. It tells us everything we need to know about how to live a God-pleasing life. People live today, they wander lost in terms of life as God intended it to be lived. They have the wrong goals. If you were to just go out on the street and get people who are willing to answer the question for you, what's your goal in life? It would be a whole lot different from what you find written in this book almost always. Their goals are different. And worse, they have no real understanding of, of what it means to live a God-pleasing life. It's completely foreign to them. And so I think in this term, in the golf world, you'd call them hackers, right? In, in our terms, we call them unsaved. Well, it's not true for the Christian. We have a guidebook. And our guidebook is God's word, and it helps us navigate around our way around life's golf course. So I want you to consider with me, number one, life is a challenging journey leading to a God-ordained end. Isn't that true? Life is a challenging journey. It's not always simple, but it's leading to a God-ordained end. And you must cross obstacles to achieve your goal of reaching that God-ordained end. In fact, uh, here we have God speaking to Joshua after the death of Moses. God speaks to Joshua directly. And notice here, right at the beginning of the book, it says, Moses is dead. I, I can imagine that's a pretty big thing in the life of Joshua. For over 40 years, he and Moses have been almost inseparable. He is Moses' servant, Moses' minister, who, as the text says. He's helping Moses. He's his right-hand man. And Moses here now, he's, di he's died, and God tells Joshua to do the things he had told Moses to do and the children of Israel to do 40 years earlier when they refused to do those things. God says to him, you're going to be the leader of the Jewish people. Moses is gone. You're the leader. And... They have to cross over the Jordan into the promised land. And Joshua is now responsible for this task. And I th think about what this means is 
in the Christian life, as you're walking day by day, trying to serve the Lord, understand there are going to be obstacles in your life. There are going to be things you have to cross over in order to achieve the God-ordained end that He has for you. When I was in high school, we did a track meet. And I don't know if you guys have ever been in a track meet. Our, our high school, we had a swim meet and a track meet at the end of every year. And uh, I, I was not good enough to do the swim meet. I could do some of the relay races because actually I was a pretty good swimmer. Um, I'm still, I still float great. Um, but uh, I was a good swimmer. But, but diving, they did all the dives. They did the high dive, the low dive. And you see these guys doing flippets and gainers and all those kinds of things. I couldn't do those. And then we got the track meet, and we actually had a pole vault. That was awesome. I learned to do the high jump. I, I could actually get over six feet in the high jump, uh, or five, you know, my height, 5'10", five, 5'11". Five, I could get over that. And there's a way of doing that. you got to turn your body a certain way and jump a certain way and throw your shoulders a certain way. And back in high school, I could do that. Um, I wasn't very good at the long jump, but I could do the high jump. Uh, and then they had uh, those races where you run around the track, and they put those obstacles in the way. And I have to tell you, I don't know if it's because I have absolutely no flexibility. The president's physical fitness test, I passed every year with flying colors, everything but flexibility. I'm not going to show you right now, but I can barely touch my kneecaps uh, doing it properly without bending my knees. It's almost impossible. I don't know why. I have no flexibility. Okay, that's just the way I'm built. All right. My wife laughs about it because, you know, she, she can put her hands on the floor or something or other. And I sit there, you know, I'd love to reach the floor. That would just be... That's a dream. That's the dream. So here, here, here's, the, here's the thing. You, you think about all that's required to jump over those hurdles. And I just didn't have the flexibility to do that. But that's life, folks. And we would see people and they'd be running as hard as they could. And they'd jump over and maybe they'd go over a couple of hurdles. And they had the low hurdles and the high hurdles. And there was no way I was going over the high hurdles. And they would hit those hurdles with their feet. And the hurdles would knock over and the, lots of racket. But, but sometimes they would fall, they would trip over the hurdle. And you know, a lot of people, they, they come to life, they're not using the book that God gave them, the Christian book, and they fall at the obstacles in their way. So what do you need? Inner strength to keep pressing on. You see what he says here? Be strong, verse 6, and of a good courage. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Verse 9, be strong and of a good courage. <laughs> you see, this is being repeated. Why is God repeating this? Is, is it that Joshua is, is mentally thick? He can't figure out what God is saying. Is he having trouble with that? I don't think that's what it is. God is reminding him of this over and over again to reinforce this truth. He says, you need encouragement. I think Joshua must have had some fears. Moses is dead. I've got to cross that river with a million or so people, and they don't always like their leader. I don't want to do this. And I was thinking of how much this reads like Paul's commands to Timothy. God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou afraid, therefore, of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me. Don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner, but be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. I think... Joshua and Timothy both had big jobs replacing leaders. And I think probably Joshua, just like Timothy, felt inadequate to accomplish the mission. So God commands him. He commands him 
to have inner strength to keep going on. In the positive sense, he says, have strength, have courage. In the negative sense, he says, don't fear. Don't be broken. Literally, in terms of being dismayed, to just be shattered. Don't, don't have fear. Don't be shattered. So in terms of, of crossing over those obstacles, which seem sometimes impossible, and I can tell you there have been times in my life where I've looked at the obstacle that God has put in my path and said, I don't think I can cross this obstacle. And God says, okay, have courage. Do what I tell you. Use the guidebook and you can do this. And so, and so you do. You have the inner strength to keep pressing on. And what motivates you to do that? Well, that's the promises of God. Here's what he says. Every place where your feet touch, I have given to you. As I said to Moses. It's interesting here. Joshua could claim the land promise that God had given to Moses. God gave to the Jews everywhere they walked on in the land. This is God's land to give. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? He owns the wealth in every mine. That's the way the hymn writer put it. The psalmist put it almost the same way. God owns everything he has created. And God gives this land to them. By the way, this is why the Palestinians' land claims are moot. They don't matter. God has given this land to Israel. And note the geographical boundaries. He gives the north-south boundaries first. Lebanon is your northern boundary. The Negev, that's the word you sometimes read. It just is the Hebrew word for south. The Negev, that's your southern boundary. That's the wilderness. And then you have the eastern and western boundaries. In the east, and it's actually kind of northeast in relation to Israel, you have the great river Euphrates. And in the west, you have the great sea where the sun goes down. Because I guess it's been going on for a long time. The sun rises in the east and sets in the west. I suppose it's been that way for forever, since God made the sun. Not only does he have the land promise, he can claim a military promise of superiority. I, I love the way God says this. No one will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. He's giving them the land, and now he's saying, this is part of the promise of, to, for Israel if you keep the covenant agreements. He promises them military victory. Do you know, you read those stories. How many men are they losing in those battles? Well, in Ai, they lose some men because they, Achan had sinned. But, but in Jericho, do they lose any men? Anybody die in the battle over Jericho? Nobody. And in fact, the stories are so incredible Liberal scholars come to the stories of, of the destruction of Canaan, the conquest is what it's called, and they say this can't possibly be true. In fact, what's very interesting is the archaeological records show cities from that time that were not destroyed. The, the way the burn layers are, if you go into a tell and you start digging, they dig straight down layers 
and they're pulling out those layers. They get to the time of Joshua, the time that the Bible says Joshua was there, and they go, well, that can't be because those cities aren't destroyed, except Jericho. Those cities aren't destroyed. Well, why? Because God had them conquer the people, and in and no place do you ever find them destroying the cities. God gave them the cities they didn't build. That's exactly what he says in the text in Deuteronomy. I'm going to give you towns you didn't build and vineyards you didn't plant and cows and sheep that you didn't farm. I'm going to give all this to you. I'm giving you the land flowing with milk, that's animals, and honey, that's vegetation. I'm giving you this fruitful land and I'm going to just give it to you. And this is the promise. As they enter in militarily, no one will be able to stand in front of them. And then third, he says, I will be with you like I was with Moses. God promises to be with Joshua. And I love this because this is similar to the way God speaks with Isaac. It's similar to the way he speaks to Jacob. You find the same kind of language with Moses. And now you find it with Joshua. He says, just like I was with somebody else, I will be the same way with you. And that's part of the promise to Joshua's authority over the people. God is saying, I am establishing you as the leader of the people. And all of this is part of the journey that Joshua is making. Life is a challenging journey leading to a God-ordained end. This is what God is leading Joshua to do. And Joshua, in order to do that, notice then, how is he going to accomplish this? Because life is a challenging journey that God has placed for us. We need him to guide us. Now, that's part of what the Holy Spirit does. But the Holy Spirit is actually using something. He's using this guidebook to help teach you how to live a God-pleasing life. So this is point number two. Our guide is God's word. Boy, that's pretty simple, isn't it? I told you these were simple. It's not real deep. Not real hard to understand. Life's a challenging journey leading to a God-ordained end. And my guide to get to that end is God's word. And there are three simple applicational thoughts that are right here in the text. Number one, follow God's word you already know. Verse seven, only be thou strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, already, I'm adding the word already, commanded you. Joshua had already received commands in, here's the word he gives here, Torah. God's first command to Joshua is for him to obey what Moses had already taught him. And then he uses an idiom here. Don't turn to the right hand. Don't turn to the left hand. You do exactly what I want you to do. Stay the course that the law has given to you. And that command then contains a promise. So it you will prosper wherever you go. So what he's saying is this. You've already received a law, right? What was it? Deuteronomy, I think. I mean, Torah could be Genesis through Deuteronomy. I think probably he's referring only to Deuteronomy. But he's saying, you've received Torah. You've received the law. Now obey what you've already received. And let me just tell you something, friends. This is one of the easiest ways for you to live the Christian life. Do what you already know that you've been taught when you've been in church. And you've been, some of you, from a young age, you've been in Sunday school and you've learned all about God. Do that. It's actually not that complicated. Pray. 
worship. You, you live life in the Spirit. Uh, seek God's help in trials. Share your faith with unbelievers. It gets complicated when you say, I'm not going to do that. That's when it, you begin to struggle. That's when you begin to find that life journeys all of a sudden. It's not quite as easy as it seems. I, I just want to tell you folks, when he talks about prosperity here, it doesn't mean every day is roses. But there is something about people who live this way as believers against people who don't. If you will just humbly submit yourself to this very simple understanding that I'm just going to do what God's word teaches me to do. As I'm reading it every day, I'm going to follow and obey what God is teaching me out of that word. Then, then the promise here is real. I don't think it's limited. It, certainly it's limited to Joshua and that the promises to Joshua, but as a biblical principle, you find this all through scripture. Obedience brings the blessing of God. So follow God's words as you've already learned them. Uh, you, you, you have some knowledge already. Follow that. Number two. Not only should you do what you already know, but you should expand your knowledge base. This is letter B. Or number two of the applicational thoughts. Consistently study the word. Look at verse eight. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you will meditate therein, in the book, every day, and every night. And that's just an idiom for all the time. That just means do it all the time. Joshua was to make Deuteronomy his close companion. His Torah. And he, and he uses a negative sense. Don't let it depart out of your mouth. I don't know if you're aware of this. The Jews had a habit of actually reading the words of God aloud. Uh, part of this was because people didn't have Bibles in their hands. So they wouldn't just say, look down at verse 11. They didn't have verse designations anyway. But, but they would read the books aloud. That was part of the way they meditated. They would read aloud. And the positive part here is to focus on what you're learning, to meditate, to think about this, to make it part of your mental thoughts. He says, focus now on the character and the works of God. That's what you're doing in meditating on the law. You are seeing God revealed before you. And he wants you to actually be thinking about that all the time so that you can attain what God desires. He says, this is what I want you to do. Read it aloud, meditate there night, day and night, so you may observe to do what I wrote therein. I, I mean, I, I'm not a mechanic, okay? You all are aware of that, probably. But I can generally follow instructions. If, if, I, if I have instructions laid out, I'm always amazed when I get to the end and go, oh, it worked, you know. But you lay it out, do this first, do this second. I've noticed sometimes the things you get that need assembly, the instructions aren't always clear. I don't know if you've ever faced that, putting together certain items, you know, maybe a bookshelf or something, and you just go, this, this, isn't, this isn't step two. Because there's something missing here. I've, I've had that kind of experience. But I can, I can generally follow directions, right? He's saying, look, 
you are on a journey that has challenges to a God-ordained end. I am giving you the guide to get there. Now, here's what you have to do. You have to expand your knowledge of the guidebook so that you'll be able to do what I wrote in the guidebook for you. I mean, imagine somebody just getting out on the roads and driving with no training at all. What would that be like? If that person was foreign to our country and didn't know the stop signs and didn't know green means go, I mean, really, truly foreign, and, and, and then try to drive, it would be a disaster. I don't know if you've ever driven in a foreign country where they don't observe any of the stop signs or stop lights or, or lines on the road. None of that matters. Or the fact that your car is there. <laughs> they don't observe that. I... I was with one of our missionaries, Seth Mohenyu. We were in downtown Accra on a Saturday, and he was showing me Accra, this, the, uh, the, the chief city in Ghana, and, and all the traffic. We were in downtown. It, you have uh, five lanes of traffic squeezed into three lanes on the road. And I don't know. I'm just saying to him, we don't drive. You know this, Seth. You've been to America. We don't drive like this. I don't know why you all drive like this. And there was a guy on a motorcycle, and he's weaving his way through the cars, and, and, he, and he brushes up against the back of Seth's car. And uh, Seth's really mad. So Seth rolls down his window and yells something at him. Well, a little while later, we got up past the motorcycle again. I have no idea how. And he came back and he started whacking the back of Seth's car. And I'm, this is crazy. This is, this is, this is, you're not following what, you're not observing to do what's written therein, Right? But parents, are you following what's written therein about parenting? Hey, college students and high school students, are you following what's written therein about how to live your life? Young, younger people who are in grade school, second, third, fourth, fifth grade, are you following? You know, you say, well, pastor, I don't know a lot about what's written to me. Have you never heard the verse, children, obey your parents in the Lord? Right? You know... Really, there's only one verse written to children. That's it. You obey your parents. That's it. Obey your parents. And especially as God's given you, God has given you Christian parents, you better obey them. That's the obligation you have. And this is what he's saying to Joshua. Do what I wrote therein. And he's saying you have to study the word of God to know what to do so that you can follow and observe what I'm asking you to do. I, I, a professor of mine developed a method for doing this, and here was his method. He said, first, you need to memorize the words of God. We have a memory sheet. Where's my memory? Well, it's on, I forgot where it is. It's out of my memory. Okay, so at the bottom of this sheet, I've got the verses for the month. I get those. You guys don't get the sheet, but I have the sheet for me. Puts the verses on the bottom, right? But you've got, you know we're doing Isaiah 55. It's real simple to figure out what the next verses are going to be. It kind of divides out for, we only do 11 months this year. December is always wonky. And you, you look through and you say, okay, verses 6 and 7, these are ones we know, so that's going to be easier. But then that means I can go back and relearn the ones I'm really struggling with in the first part of the, of the chapter. But, but do you see what he's saying here? Memorize them. Memorize the words. Analyze is number two. Memorize the words, analyze the words. Sometimes you come across a word you don't know what it means. Sometimes you come across a passage that's a little bit difficult. Uh, I've got a book in my library called Bible Difficulties. There are a few of them, I'm going to tell you. 
Um, you read it along and you go, wait a minute, that doesn't seem right. This is weird. Uh, this is really strange. So you have to read. A, maybe sometimes you got to pull a commentary out. And I've got commentaries I'll loan you. Try to put the passage in your own words. You have to analyze it. And then finally, personalize it. And to me, this is almost the most important thing. You're now looking at what you've just learned, what you put in your memory, and what you've analyzed. And now you're saying, how can I make that my own? And you'll do it in two ways. First, repent of all the times you failed to obey what was there. You say, Lord, I blew it. I'm, I'm reading this now, realizing I, I haven't always let my speech be with grace seasoned with salt. I just haven't. I haven't used gracious words. Help me to do that in the future and set up ways, number two, repent of how you failed in the past and set up ways that you can face similar problems in the future. I've been amazed at people who struggle with things and they say, Pastor, you know, I'm really struggling with this. Let me give you an example. I have diabetes, right? So I don't eat cake and, and lots of sugary things. I, don't, I haven't had a Snickers bar in probably five years, okay? Do you know why? Because after the, the uh, lady called me and told me I had diabetes, you know what I determined to do? I'm not going to eat that anymore. I can't eat that anymore. I don't want to go blind. I'd like to keep my feet, you know? That'd be really nice. And, and this are some of the things that can happen to you when you have diabetes. So I don't want to do that. So I'm going to stop eating those things. But here I am munching on a Snickers bar or, or a Three Musketeers, or I like them all, you know, just name one, I, you know. Um, I didn't really like Butterfinger. Okay, so there, so here I am munching on a non-Butterfinger candy bar, and you're going, what are you doing? What are you doing? And you say, well, I went through the grocery store, and I went to the candy aisle. And I was just looking at it, and I was saying, oh, those are so good. I love those so much. And knowing I shouldn't do it, I did it anyway. Well, that was a bad idea. And if you can't keep from eating candy as a diabetic, maybe you shouldn't go down the candy aisle. Do you know how practical that is? If you have problems in a certain sin area in your life, maybe you should avoid those areas in your life. Just personalize it. And then finally, letter C, this is the third applicational thought. Recognize God's presence in his word. He says in verse 9, Haven't I commanded you be strong and of good courage? Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Because I am with you wherever you go. Isn't that a beautiful statement? God reiterates the command of inner strength, but he follows up that command with a promise. I'm with you wherever you go. You're about to walk across the Jordan River in the springtime. <laughs> you know, it's going to be difficult. Of course, God's going to open up the waters just like the Red Sea. But you're going to walk across the Jordan in the springtime when the waters is overflowing its banks. You're going to go across there. You're going to face a walled city like Jericho. And, and you're not going to have some great military strategy. Your strategy is you're going to walk around it for seven days. And you're going to be completely quiet. And then on the seventh day, you're going to go seven times around. And then you're going to hear shouts and cheering. And the walls are going to fall down. And you're just going to rush inside and, and take possession of the city. I mean, that's a strange strategy. Okay? I think the Russians have been using that strategy to take Kiev. It hasn't been working for them. Okay? Nobody would use the strategy. But here's what's happened. This is a strategy God gave them. It's what they did. And you can think, it would be very, that's an obstacle. How am I going to get there? But God says, I'll be with you. My, but my mother, my adult mother is unsaved, and I'm burdened for her. What should I do? 
Pray and witness. That's what the Bible teaches. Be a good example in front of her about what it means to be a Christian. Pray, witness, be a good example. Follow what Scripture teaches. And then say, Lord, be with me in this as I witness to my mom. Or you say, I have a grown child and that child is struggling in his walk with the Lord. What do I do? Well, what does the Bible talk about? There are lots of promises and, and commands about how to handle those situations. Follow through with those. And while you're doing that, say, God, be with me. Because he says, I'll be with you when you're doing these kinds of things. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. I'm with you. It, it reminds me of what Jesus said to the disciples right before he ascended to heaven. He said, and lo, I'm with you all the way to the end of the world. As you go to make disciples, he said, I'll be right with you all the time. Um, and I think that's a beautiful promise. And this is what we're claiming. My friends, if you feel lost, you just feel like, I don't mean unsaved. I mean, as a believer, but you feel a little lost. And I've had those times as a Christian growing up. I've, I've just had those moments. What do you do? You get out your Bible and you read it. You read God's word. Uh, ho I hope you have a systematic way of reading through it every year or maybe have a way of reading through it a couple of times a year or maybe a, a year and a half or however you're doing that. But you get up and you read God's words. Maybe you turn to a passage. There are places on the Internet if you're struggling with this. They'll give you some verse ideas. Maybe you do that and find the verses you need to help you. But you read God's words and you just let that find you again because life is a journey that challenges you with obstacles. But if you use the guidebook God gave you, you will end up at the place he wants you to be. And that is success. Let's pray. Lord, help us to better understand your word and live it, to memorize it, to analyze it, and personalize.